the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I'm your headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280, The Patriot. And of course, I'm joined in studio once again by our producer of Education Nation and my wonderful co-host, Mark Durkin. Nice to see you again, Rebecca. Yes, How are nice you this to Saturday? See you. I am very good. I'm excited to have our dear friend Catherine back. Yes, the conversation uh, oh, it Continues. just gets better each and every week, and we can't uh, touch on this stuff enough. We have yes. to keep repeating it. Yes, sure. we sure do. Yeah. Well, just to get our listeners reacquainted with our discussion, uh, over the last year, we've spent a lot of time helping our listening audience become acquainted with some terminology from a movement that's becoming a regular fixture in school classrooms across Minnesota and the country. And these include topics like structures of whiteness, implicit biases, racial equity, racial discipline, and, of course, things as large as the 1619 Project and Critical Race Theory. Yes, and as our guest tonight was alluding to last week as well, uh, she says that accepting the claims of the new woke movement, it really requires ignoring the extraordinary progress that America has made mm-hmm. in overcoming the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, and not to mention the advances that came from the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Decades of affirmative action, massive social welfare spending, and a two-term black president and currently a black vice president. Mm -hmm. And the movement maintains that our society, including the classroom, it remains captive to white supremacy. Is this a new movement or are we contending with ideas that are part of a much larger adversary culture whose ideas are borrowed from revolutions that have left devastating consequences in other parts of the world? We answered that question last week. Looking at uh, the old Russia and Soviet Union front with uh, Vladimir Lenin and, of course, Mm -hmm. what took place during the Chinese Cultural Revolution under Mao Zedong. And Mm -hmm. also our guest talked uh, about uh, uh, what was going on in Nicaragua under the Sandinistas. So Mm -hmm. we're going to transition from that part of the discussion to what's going on inside of Minnesota schools. Yes, exactly. Well, joining us by telephone tonight to discuss this disturbing development and advancements uh, that we're seeing in adversary culture in America and really across the world um, is Catherine Kirsten. And Catherine's a writer and an attorney, a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. She is a regular contributor on this show. Catherine, it's such an honor to have you join us again tonight on Education Nation. Well, thanks for inviting me. 
Uh, Catherine, last week we finished up talking about the uh, purpose of this new revolution from the vantage point of school districts uh, all over the state of Minnesota. Uh, Tonight I want to jump back into that, and I want to ask, you know, the thought world of racial equity, it purportedly advances in the name of justice and harmony. We hear those two terms uh, used interchangeably. Why do you see the fundamental premise, though, as being deeply divisive? Because the fundamental premise is that life is a zero-sum power struggle between oppressors and victim groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the idea of critical race theory, which we see uh, extending its influence through our our public schools here in Minnesota, uh, that premise is that white people are, uh, are, are by nature oppressive. Uh, these structures and institutions of the United States are, are white, and therefore they are oppressive and they must be dismantled. <clears throat> that includes uh, norms of behavior as well, whereas um, BIPOC people, uh, black, indigenous, and a people of color, a new term, mm-hmm. are victims of uh, they lack uh, moral agency. They're helpless uh, as individuals uh, until the, the structures of oppression of uh, whiteness uh, are, are eradicated. Mm-hmm. And that's not that, a recipe for harmony. Yeah, not a recipe for no, harmony at all. And honestly, every time I really think about this topic in depth, I'm just struck by the arrogance and just the degrading of these minority populations that that they would be so helpless without removing these supposed oppressors. And the very racism that they accuse whites of projecting on people of color is actually the very racism they are projecting on those exactly. people exactly by demeaning them. That, exactly. And worse and worse. Yeah. Um, That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, the idea of pursuing racial equity in the K-12 public schools is really nothing new. Um, Its pursuit has been ongoing for quite some time. However, you've written about the fact that it's become a full-scale assault in recent months, and it's so true, uh, especially with our social study, the new social study standards that we are seeing um, being proposed by the state of Minnesota. Why now, do you think, and what developments have emerged across American society over the last 60 years that have culminated in this movement? Uh, as one who was uh, in, in high school in the 1960s, uh, I recall uh, the, you know, the, the, the sort of quasi-student uh, revolution that occurred there and which led in part to the creation of what some of us call oppression studies departments in colleges, you know, black studies, women's studies, uh, grievance studies. Uh, and these uh, had, had tremendous influence, in particular in teachers' colleges mm. and, of course, in the, in the media. So out of that mindset grew the racial identity politics that we're talking about here, which has uh, intellectual roots in in this kind of neo-Marxist or critical race theory. And we all know that we've heard so much about uh, here in Minnesota and across the country, the the racial learning gap over the last 40 years. That was one reason for Mm -hmm. very widespread race-based busing 
across the U.S. in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, that the the next stage, since we didn't see significant uh, improvement from that kind of uh, so-called desegregation, uh, are are the the equity plans of today. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we look, though, below the surface, what we see is fragmentation of society uh, with family breakdown and uh, secularization. I think the rise of uh, digital media, social media, all of that is combined to create a kind of vacuum of meaning and purpose. And so many people are just looking for a cause that's larger than themselves. And this seems like the right side of history, right? Mm-hmm. Just on the side of the of the victims, uh, uh, you you yourself are superior. You find a, a reason to, to live in this complex world. Mm-hmm. So well said. What a great summary. Mm-hmm. That was outstanding. I mean, you can definitely see it's built up to to a point right now, for sure. Uh, The death of George Floyd in 2020 really brought all of these forces together, uh, bringing about really a new sensationalism to a group, say, like Black Lives Matter. What people may not uh, be familiar with, though, are groups like the Black Lives Matter Global Fund. I mean, how influential are they when it comes to training in K-12 schools? Well, they're extremely influential. Um, it, it's very clear who the, the leadership is uh, of Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Global, Global Fund, which is just awash in cash from woke uh, corporations today. Mm-hmm. But uh, our, our media do not make clear the, the background of the founders of Black Lives Matter and its global fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, for example, um, Patrice Cullors is one of these these leaders, and she is the author of a book called "When They Call You a Terrorist." Now, she has some interesting things in there. Why don't? Why isn't this on the front page of our right. newspaper? Right, <laughs> right. That is that is the shocking thing. It it, it really is you have shocking. Have to dig deep. Yeah. Um, you mentioned one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter, Patrice Cullors, and she herself and her co-founder, Alicia Garza, I believe is how it's yeah. pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, they describe themselves as trained Marxists. So, again, yeah. like you say, why isn't that on the front cover of every magazine and newspaper and front, you know, on the on the head of the news on our national media? When it comes to young people in schools, Catherine, what are some of the primary goals that Ms. Cullors really hopes to achieve? Well, she uh, said uh, that one of her primary goals is to, quote, fight the U.S. state. And we talked last week about uh, Saul Alinsky. That's the kind of community organizing uh, Cullors was trained. And she actually trained at a place called the uh, the Los Angeles-based Labor Community Strategy Center. Its founder uh, was a former leader of the Weather Underground terrorist organization. Mm, mm. And in that book, she says she studied Mao, Marx, and Lenin, and she learned how to work to influence young people. So what they're doing today uh, is blanketing our schools with free, generally, lesson plans, uh, diversity training, Black Black History Month lessons, etc., that uh, promotes the ideas that you would expect that someone with the goal of fighting the U.S. state would have. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I'm going to take a moment while we're in this conversation, just because I've learned of two organizations just recently that are actually trying to push back against this effort. One is on the state level, local level, and one is on the national level. Um, on the local level, Kendall Qualls, who ran yes. for office, he started an organization called Take Charge Minnesota, and he literally just launched a Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday in, in uh, is it January 21st, I believe. Um, right. And they are working hard to bring back the strength of the black family and to bring about school choice because they realize that the truth is that the achievement gap is because of um, some of the difficulty in the black family since the 1970s and then also the lack of true educational options. And right. So I would encourage our listeners to go look up Take Charge. I think it's TakeChargeMinnesota.org. Yeah, TakeChargeMN.org. There we go. TakeChargeMN.org. Correct. Thank you so much. And they are holding a prayer vigil on April 3rd via Zoom. And so I'd encourage our listeners to look them up. And then the national one that I just heard about last week is called FAIR. It stands for Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And they are also standing firm on Martin Luther King's um, beliefs that you are judged by the content of your character and not the color of your skin. And they are going to be launching uh, chapters all across the nation. And they are just a very new organization as well. So look that one up too. get involved and help because they are going to be producing materials that will go into K-12 schools as well. That's going to be their focus. Mm-hmm. Yes, and they also want to highlight the stories of families who are seeing bad things happening in their schools. So yes. they're going to be publicizing that. They're going to be standing up for people who are doxxed and canceled, and they're going to be trying to help bring lawsuits yes. to challenge this. Yes, mm-hmm. which is going to be very, very helpful. Very important indeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last time that we had uh, spoken, really last in, in February, uh, Catherine, you helped us to understand the differences between education and indoctrination, and hopefully uh, the uh, the chasm that exists there is going to be reduced with uh, these efforts that we just spoke about. This mm-hmm. has certainly garnered the attention of former U.S. government intelligence analyst Stella Morabito. What has she said about the indoctrination that we're seeing in American schools today? She's written very uh, widely about this, and uh, I will quote, she says, the indoctrination we are seeing in American schools today is, quote, a psychological operation that plays on the fear of social isolation through identity politics, peer modeling, and social contagion. Mm. That's exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. That is so precise. Absolutely precise. Oh, just shocking for our our kids um, across the nation. Um, And then, Catherine, you've written that elites who seek to influence other people's beliefs and behavior can weaponize fear to control their subjects for their own advantage. Explain for our listeners the three steps of coercive thought reform identified by scholars in the field of psychology, and then who typically is the most susceptible to coercive thought reform? Well, what Stella Morabito says is that... uh, Human beings' greatest fear is the fear of social isolation. We are social creatures, mm-hmm. right? Because we, we have to be to survive. And that's why um, solitary confinement is, is really the worst uh, punishment that we can imagine. So 
people who are skilled at coercive thought uh, control are, are knowledgeable about this and they weaponize this fear. People want to belong to the group, right? It's really hard to be a dissident. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there are three steps. Uh, and these uh, have been repeated. Uh, they're repeated in, in uh, the formation of cults. They're repeat, repeated uh, in the treatment of, of um, POWs in, in uh, 20th century wars, etc. So here's what they are. The first is that manipulators will try to undermine the identity of the, the subject of the person they're targeting, right? Destabilize that person's sense of self in order to to sow self-doubt and increase vulnerability to Mm. to their own outside influences. The second is that after they they destabilize your uh, identity and they sow confusion, then they introduce uh, an alternate closed system of reality, an alternate vision, and they try to keep uh, ideas that would challenge it out of the mind of, of the target. And finally, they use uh, emotional blackmail tactics, uh, and that, that means that so they bring group pressure to bear on the target in order to, to force or attempt to force that individual to give in to, to groupthink. Mm. You know, we are seeing that not just with respect to critical race theory, but that's actually... Uh, I firmly believe that that's one of the tactics that was being used across the nation regarding COVID. Um, oh, you know, yeah, how, how dare you not wear a mask? You're, right. you're, you're, you know, killing your grandmother or whatever. You're not, not your grandmother, but you know, even by being outside and, and uh, right. how could you not wear a mask? And um, that, that group think uh, that forces people to, to conform, conform Inform exactly mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So I feel like we're we're seeing that tactic being used in a few different realms. And all these tactics yep. really just reiterate what Saul Alinsky spoke about in his Rules for Radicals. If you look at that list of what he had put together, mm-hmm. these all fall in line with what he was saying. They really do. That's true. Yeah. Let's explain for our listeners. Now that we've defined coercive thought reform, how are those tactics playing out in Minnesota schools? What would you say to that, Catherine? Yes, and in fact, that reminds me of Rebecca's uh, last question, which is who is most vulnerable? Oh, yeah. Obviously, yes. it's young people who are most vulnerable, and the younger they are, the more vulnerable they are for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. So um, you will find that Black Lives Matter, Global Fund, uh, so many of the of the activist groups out there trying to get their curricula into our public schools really start in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in uh, something called the Melanin Project. Mm-hmm. That's a, a project that mm-hmm. has been used um, in uh, Edina at Highlands Elementary School in their K-2 classrooms, they, they seek to foreground race, to get it in kids' minds that skin color determines what group you belong to mm-hmm. and, and puts you in contention with people with different skin colors. So this melanin project um, requires students to trace their hands and then they color them uh, their own skin tone and then they cut them out and they put them on a classroom poster and it says stop thinking your skin color is better than anyone else's as though oh, they Jesus. are right. at age five uh, even thinking oh, about right that, they're right? not they even thinking about 
Oh. We want them to think. So, you know, they tell parents it's about harmony. It's not. Mm-mm. It's about getting kids to think in ways that they ordinarily don't when they're, when they're five years old. Mm. So they start with that kind of tactic. Um, and then they go on in, um, in, in junior high or, or middle school and high school, uh, just kind of ramping it up. So for example, uh, this year at, uh, Apple Valley's uh, Eastview High School, there was an eight-week course, which I believe was required on critical theory and white privilege. Uh, Students uh, in certain classes had to watch YouTube videos called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man uh, at Egan High School. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we could go on and on uh, Mm -hmm. about, but but we're seeing this, um, we're seeing this across the metro area now. Mm -hmm. It is. And I've had things sent to me from Matamidi Public Schools, White Bear Public Schools, over on the east side as well. So, yes, this is pervasive. Um, On a slightly different note, you've drawn attention to a a particular book that exemplifies the indoctrination that's now underway in Minnesota classrooms. And that book is called Something Happened in Our Town, A Child's Mm -hmm. Story About Racial Injustice. And that was recommended by the Minnesota Departments of Education and Health. And it was used by um, a fourth grade class in Echo Park Elementary in Burnsville. I believe it was actually used in many other places as well. Um, What story does this book tell? And then what does this book seek to accomplish with young children? And to your knowledge, I know how many other districts has this appeared in, in Minnesota schools? So, so the book um, is about a uh, community's re- response to a police-involved killing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it talks about fairness and empathy as, as if these are goals it's, it's trying to pursue with, uh, what, you know, uh, 10, 11-year-olds. <clears throat> but, in fact, it's, uh, it portrays the, the police in, in an extremely negative way light. Uh, and I, I believe that's how it came to people's attention, that there was someone who was connected with a police officer's family in this uh, Echo Park school uh, who became aware of this and, and raised the issue. But uh, just just one example of many, uh, there, there's a quote in which this young girl asks her mother, why did the police shoot that man? And the mother says, you know, I feel sad for the man and his family. Uh, and the father says, uh, the police thought he had a gun, and then her sister jumps in. She says, quote, the cop shot him because he was black. Yeah, uh, just that, that setting that is, viewpoint. Repeated throughout throughout mm-hmm. the book. So this tendentious, simplistic, um, propagandistic mm-hmm. portrayal of an incident that's never, <laughs> never even described in any detail, used to hit young children over the head with the fact that police are, quote, mean to mm-hmm. black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, your parents might be able to steer you in the right direction, but it's really your woke peer, you know, this is right. the older sister who can jump in and tell you the unvarnished truth. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Catherine, you've stressed that the state's largest teachers union, Education Minnesota, would like to see propaganda like this in classrooms across the state. So so would both local and national activist organizations. We, we've spoken at length about Black Lives Matter. Um, what about the Black Lives Matter at School Coalition? They they produce innumerable lesson plans and activities that are yeah. similar to what is portrayed in the book that we just discussed. What do these lesson plans look like for K-5 through students, and how about older students? 
Well, here's an example from um, for, for K through five students. Um, these <clears throat> lesson plans uh, include something called quote activism, organizing, and resistance <laughs> for K lessons. through five. Little community yeah. organizers. Oh my goodness, they're starting them young, yes. aren't they? Whatever happened to reading, writing, and arithmetic? Mm-hmm. Well, definitely a backseat to social justice activism. But the projects in that, uh, uh, under that heading include uh, one called Understanding Prejudice Through Paper Plate Portraits, another one called Role Playing a Teacher's Strike. Uh, so, teacher uh, strike. Know, <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny. <laughs> uh, so for older students, um, uh, there are many to choose from. One is called social justice mathematics, and um, the, these use quote. I'm just quoting here: numbers and maps to look at the impacts of housing discrimination, low minimum wage, and the school to prison pipeline. Oh my and one goodness! Of, one of my favorites is that you can um, students can study. Uh, the Black Panthers' so-called revolutionary socialist ideology and create their own versions of the Panthers' radical 10-point program. So, uh, you know, at every level, at every opportunity, getting this this ideology into kids' heads without ever announcing what it is, that's what indoctrination is. The manipulators don't announce their real intentions. They try to manipulate people into agreeing with them. Of course, never provide another point of view. Right, right. Never provide another point of view. Absolutely not. I I honestly think if parents had any idea, they would just be mortified. And I think people are starting to wake up a little bit more now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're so short on time, Catherine, but I, we want to get a couple more questions in. Um, you've written about um, the, how the groundwork for authoritarian control is being laid in Minnesota schools. Uh, share with our last listeners some of the tactics that were incorporated during a campaign last summer at Henry Sibley High School in West St. Paul. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so um, here uh, at, at Henry, Henry Sibley High School, there was a group that called itself 197, so District 197 students were changed. And in August of last year, they mounted what they called their Days of Demands campaign. And they had a number of features that um, are troubling within that campaign on the basis of what they called anonymous stories. They targeted, they, they called out racist teachers and administrators by name. And they published accusations against a named, quote, all-white administration trio. They said these three, quote, deny their own racist tendencies and get off by oppressing BIPOC uh, people, victim groups. And they demanded, this is really troubling, demanded that faculty who don't retain information they were taught in their equity training be punished and that that some of them be fired. And then they called for banning students who have been, they said, actively racist, banning them from sports and clubs and other privileges. So this is really bordering on uh, some very, very unsavory uh, behavior. Mm -hmm. My understanding is nothing happened to these students. In fact, they were uh, rewarded uh, because... They were demanding that their high school, Sibley High, be renamed. Uh, Minnesota's first governor was Henry Sibley, and they were successful because they called him a a colonizer, a rapist, and a manipulator. 
So, but wow. the, my understanding is that the school's name was was in fact changed. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. You know, we have about twenty seconds here, Catherine. You know, parents that are listening to this who have you know children in the public schools, what can they do? Well, I think first of all, uh, parents can can tell their their children that this uh, what they're hearing in school along these lines is is inaccurate. It's not true. Some people are mistaken. Uh, in the things that they're saying at school. But I think here's a really valuable thing. Um, Stella Morabito told me that if you understand the techniques of coercive thought reform being used against you, they lose their effectiveness. If you know that these things are being done to you to manipulate you to the advantage of others. Thank you. On that note, Catherine, we have to take off tonight. But thank you so much, Catherine, for being with us. We're so grateful. And we will see our listeners again at ednationmn.org to listen to our podcast. Good night.